Well, we're uh, winding down on a 50-day challenge, and our focus has been on shifting our thinking to be more like Jesus. And we've looked specifically in the book of Philippians at chapter 2, 3, and 4. And so let's take a minute to uh, review some of the mind shifts that we've been challenging ourselves with from Philippians 2, 3, and 4 over these last several weeks. Uh, we start off with the mind shift of others before self. That's a big one right there, isn't it? We just spent 50 days on that one, or 50 years on that one. I mean, we live in such a me-first culture, it, it, that, that changing our thinking, shifting it to, to put others ahead of ourselves. I, I'll tell you where I see this a lot come into play in my world is, uh, you know, when I'll talk to a small group about multiplication. You know, and immediately there's pushback there, and it's like, oh, but we love each other, and it's so great here with each other, and that kind of stuff. I mean, what would motivate a group of people who really are comfortable with each other and know each other and are loving each other? What would motivate a group like that to multiply? Well, it's this mind shift of putting others ahead of ourselves, of determining that we're going to make room for other people to be in community, and that means even at the sake of my own comfort or likes, right? See, that mind shift of others before myself. Then we looked at the second mind shift of using our influence to shine for Jesus and his glory. C.S. Lewis said that the church is the only organization that exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members. And so determining that we are going to be people, we as a church are going to be united together in building influence with people and using that influence to shine for Jesus and for his glory. Then we looked at the mind shift of the, the, the fact that we need to have and we need to be godly role models. And we need to make sure that we're honoring the right kind of people. Let, listen, let, let's just make a determination, just those of us here in the room. I mean, we can't control everybody else out there, but let's just determine that just us, that we're going to stop making celebrities out of people whose lives self-destruct right in front of us just because they can sing or act or throw a ball. I mean, let's just determine that, right? And let's instead, let's celebrate men and women who are advancing the kingdom, who are pushing back darkness. People like Judge Paul Herbert right here in Columbus. You've heard of him if you've heard us when we've talked about the human trafficking problem. Judge Paul Herbert, a believer in Jesus Christ who boldly speaks the name of Jesus in his courtroom, he decided that rather than just this, this problem of prostitution, of rather than just, just continuing to throw these women in jail who just get bailed out by their pimp and who are just right back on the street again over and over, to determine a way to really reach out in compassion to these women and meet them in the midst of this cycle and help them be able to escape from that. And so he founded Catch Court, and Catch Court, right here, has done phenomenal things in helping women really change their lives and escape them, many of them giving their lives to Jesus Christ along the way. Let's celebrate people like that, like Judge Herbert, right? Or <laughs> people like uh, Katie Davis. You know, here's a young woman in her, in her 20s who, who just couldn't believe the way that they throw children away in Uganda. So... She determined that she would uh, break off her engagement, that she would leave her cushy life here in America, and she moved to Uganda and opened up an orphanage. 
And she spends her days picking parasites out of people's feet and caring for needy children in the name of Jesus. Let's, let's celebrate people like that, right? And so this mind shift that we're going to have godly role models, that we're going to make sure we're honoring the right kind of people, that's a mind shift. Then we talked about the mind shift of relationship with Jesus instead of religion. You know, a lot of people, the way that they think and act out Christianity, it's almost like just karma. You know, you kind of, you do good things, and God does good things for you. And you do bad things, and he zaps you, right? You know, and kind of thing. I mean, that's not Christianity. That's religion. Christianity is a relationship with a living Savior that's built upon what he did for us, his grace, his blood shed on the cross that gives me the opportunity to have a relationship with him. Let's make that mind shift into relationship rather than religion. And then last week we talked about the mind shift of running with a narrowed focus to know and love Jesus more. To put behind us the things of the past and to live with this narrowed focus on knowing and loving Jesus. Many of us are still living today and will live tomorrow controlled by things that happened to us 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago. To put that behind us by the power of the shed blood of Jesus, to be set free of that and to focus on knowing and loving Jesus. Let's make that mind shift. And so we've been working together to change these things. You know, these things start in our thinking, right? And so changing our thinking so that our behavior changes, so that as a result, we become people who think and act like Jesus. Well, it's not too late to get into the mind-shifting mode for these final two weeks. You can have a 14-day adventure starting today, if you want. And so pick up one of these little devotional booklets out in the lobby, and start today. Don't worry about what's behind you. Start today. On Sunday, the 9th of March, start today. And for these next 14 weeks, use that. Get into a small group. Be here these last couple of weeks. And let God work on the thinking that he wants to change in you. The mind shifts to think more like Jesus. In fact, speaking of that, two weeks from today, or this two, the weekend, two weeks from now, both Saturday night and both times on Sunday mornings, we're going to celebrate what God's doing in us through this 50-day challenge, and we're going to give you an opportunity to share. And so you be thinking, if God has been working in your thinking or working in your lives in any of these areas, then you be thinking now in these next couple weeks what you might share. doesn't have to be monstrous, just how God is changing you from the inside out to think more like Jesus. We're going to wrap that up in two more weeks. You know, I, I've loved during the course of this 50-day challenge in our small group, one of the things we've done is that we ask everybody to bring this little devotional with them. And uh, most of the people in our group are doing it, not everybody, but to bring it. And we just take four or five minutes to let somebody share, uh, to let different people share. Hey, what's God been showing you uh, throughout this week, you know, maybe a particular reading or a particular verse or a particular thought or that kind of thing. And that's been so cool to just hear people say, hey, God showed me this on this day this week. And the person say, yeah, man, God's really working this way, this thing through me in this kind of cool way. And that's not our whole time. That's just been a few minutes. And I just love that. And just that combination of hearing you know, the word here on the weekend and talking about it in our groups and letting God speak for those same verses to us on a daily basis. I mean, that's been a really cool thing. 
I hope you've been doing that. If you haven't, too bad. I don't know what to tell you. But uh, make it happen for these, don't say so sad, too bad. Make it happen for these last two weeks. And get on board and have a 14-day challenge because God wants to impact your thinking. Don't you think that's true? So let them. Let them. Take the steps to do that. Well, our passage for today is Philippians chapter 3. And so let me encourage you to open your Bible or your app or whatever you got to the third uh, chapter of Philippians. You can also reach inside your bulletin and pull out uh, these message notes. It's got the passage, the main passage that we're going to look at today from Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And it also has some other uh, verses that we're going to look at along the way and some white spaces in there that you can write down if uh, God's speaking to you or if you want to take some notes or that kind of thing. But Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we want to start in verse 17. Here's what it says. Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul says, follow our example, not that they were perfect. Follow the example of us and other people like us who are striving to know and love and walk with Jesus, to serve and be his people who are having our, sh- our minds shifted. Be like us, Paul says. You know, people are natural imitators. Do you, do you know that? I mean, look at fashion. I don't, I don't know who gets to decide, but somewhere somebody gets to decide what's in fashion, and then we all do it, right? I mean, one day somebody decides, okay, women, let's all start wearing these boots up to here on the outside of our pants, and then everybody's doing it, right? Or let's all start wearing pink, or let's all start wearing black, or whatever. We're just natural imitators, right? That's what people do. Or um, the colors in your home. Janet said to me uh, a while back, we got all the wrong colors in our house. You know, we need to, these, aren't, these colors aren't in anymore. And I said, I like these colors, mainly because I don't want to repaint anything. But see, things change, and we, we imitate. We follow styles of cars. People decide, and we all, those all change, and we all copy. And People are natural imitators. So the issue isn't uh, to imitate or not to imitate, but rather who or what we will imitate. And that's why the mind shift of having godly role models, of honoring the right kind of people, is so important. Can you see that? In fact, here's a little convicting thought. I thought of this this week. In your home. What do you talk about more? In front of your children, what do you talk about more? Do you talk more about uh, who won the Oscars, or who's singing these songs, or these particular athletes? Or do you talk about people who are advancing the kingdom, who are pushing back darkness for the name of Jesus Christ? It's not wrong to talk about those other things, but are you honoring the right kind of people? Are you imitating the right kind of people? Paul says, imitate people like us who are striving to know and love and serve Jesus. And then he goes on, verse 18. He says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you uh, again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control 
will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. What Paul does in this passage is he separates all of humanity into two separate groups. In this group, he says, are true believers, genuine followers of Christ, authentic, real Christians. And he says, and then in this group are enemies of the cross. True, blood-bought, saved Christians and enemies of the cross. And we hear that, and for many of us, there's immediately this kind of pushback. This, wait, 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 wait a, wait a second. There needs to be a third category, right? I mean, I know lots of non-Christians who aren't enemies of Jesus. I mean, they're not enemies of the cross. I mean, maybe you're even thinking that of yourself this morning. I mean, they're good people. They're just kind of a little ambivalent towards Jesus. I mean, maybe there's a category for them, right? I have um, some friends, Randy and Rich, and they're brothers, and um, Randy was a Christian, and Rich wasn't. This was years ago. They uh, lived together back before they were both married, and they lived together, and Randy would continually talk to Rich about Jesus. Rich didn't like that, and one day Rich said to Randy, if you talk to me about Jesus one more time, I'm going to literally pick you up and throw you out of this house. Now, there's an enemy of the cross right there, right? Now, Rich knows and loves Jesus. He's an elder in his church to this day, at this time. So God does transform people. But, but it's so easy to think, well, see, there's an enemy of the cross, but, but certainly there, there's got to be this other category, see? But, but I think this might be a place where we need a biblical mind shift. Because what the Bible teaches is this, that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord... That if you aren't a heaven-bound, blood-bought follower of Jesus, that if you aren't a gospel-embracing worshiper of the one who died to set you free from hell, then Paul says you are an enemy of the cross. Let me ask you, why is it that we talk and sing so much about the cross around here? I mean, why is it that we spend so much time talking and singing about Jesus' death and his suffering on the cross? And, and we talk about the blood of Jesus. I mean, that's a little barbaric, don't you think? The blood of Jesus? I mean, why do we do that? It's because this is the central piece to life, both for this world and for the world to come, both now and for eternity. And everything rests on your understanding of and your response to the cross. And so we need a clearer understanding of our condition. So let me, let me just spend a little bit of time on this. We need to understand that what the Bible teaches is that all of us are under God's wrath. And that is because... We are sinful, and God is holy. 
And being under his wrath, that doesn't mean God's mad at us. God isn't mad at us. A lot of people, that's what they think. Well, God's mad at me. God's not mad at you. In fact, God loves you. He loves you so much that he provided a way at great cost for you to be removed out from under that wrath. But I think this is where we get off track in our comprehension of things. I think the problem is that what we do is we way underestimate this gap that is between a holy God and sinful us. And so let's spend a little time talking about that. If you, if you have your Bible there, keep something in Philippians 3, but turn over to Romans chapter 3 because it's critical that we get this. Romans chapter 3. And beginning in verse 23, Paul says this. He says, for all, how many? All, every one of us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says, all of us are sinners. That there is a separation between us and the standards of a holy God. You see, holiness isn't simply something that God arbitrarily chooses to be. It's what He is. And because God is holy and we are sinful, there is this problem due to this huge gap between a holy God and sinful us. And as a result of that gap, we are born under the wrath of a holy God. But there's hope. And Paul goes into that in the very next verse. He says, verse 24, And, talking to believers, he says, And all are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. God made a way through Christ Jesus. Well, how did he do that? Verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Look at this next part. Through the shedding of his blood. Well, where did Jesus shed his blood? On the cross, right? Through Jesus shedding his blood on the cross, God made a way, it's to be received by faith. God made a way at great cost to remedy this problem by sending Jesus to the cross to shed his blood, to make a way for you and for me to be able to get out from under his righteous wrath. But it doesn't happen automatically, does it? That's why at the end of that sentence he says, to be received by faith. You have to choose to receive it by putting your faith in Jesus and his shed blood to save you. You see, that's the mind shift from, relation, or from religion to relationship. 
if you're thinking, well, it's all about, but, but I'm trying my best. I'm doing everything I can. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying hard. I even got up on time change Sunday and came to church for crying out loud. See, that's religion. If you're putting your faith in that, you've missed it. But if you instead put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus and what he did for you to make a way, that's the mind shift from religion to relationship. You have to receive that payment to remove you out from God's righteous wrath. And here's another huge mind shift for some of us is to understand that that's not simply this one-time transaction, but this ongoing process in us. Now, clearly, there's a moment in time where we comprehend and we choose to put our faith and trust in Jesus, but that's not just this one-time transaction. Good, got that over with, that's done. No, that's the beginning of this process of our salvation. That's what puts us in this group over this group. But there's another problem as you go back to Philippians chapter 3. And that not only after putting these two groups out there, Paul then goes on to describe these two groups. And so in the very next verse, verse 19, he describes the characteristics of those who are enemies of the cross. And here's the problem. Is that many of us who are here this morning would, set, would consider ourselves in this group. Boy, I'm a Christian. I'm a blood-bought saint. I, I, I'm, I'm saved. But if we're honest, as Paul describes those who are enemies of the cross, we'd have to say, but that sure sounds a whole lot like me. So let's look at what he says in verse 19, describing those who are enemies of the cross. Paul says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul gives four characteristics, four things that describes those who are enemies of the cross. Here's the first one. He says their destiny is destruction. He's talking there not only about hell being their destiny, their destruction for eternity, but their choices now keep taking them into hellish consequences over and over and over again. When we do Encounter Weekends, which is something we do around here, if you've never been on Encounter Weekend, or even if you have, when we do one, consider it. They're, they're powerful weekends. But one of the things that we teach on, on Encounter Weekends is just this principle from the Bible that all sin leads to death. And here's how we describe that death. It's this, it's hell-pleasing, not in our best interest consequences. That all sin always leads to hell-pleasing, not in our best interest consequences. See? And as we live that out, those who are enemies of the cross, as they live that out, they continually find themselves doing things that leads to death, that leads to destruction, that leads to hell-pleasing, not in my best interest consequences. A lot of people, maybe some of you, think, man, God's punishing me. God's not punishing you. You're just living out the natural hellish consequences of the sinful choices you make. Of hell and the little pieces of death that it brings. So characteristic number one of those who are enemies of the cross is simply this. Their destiny is destruction. 
Second characteristic, Paul says, is he says their God is their stomach. That they live feeling satisfying lives. You know, you have a good meal and you think, ah, oh, that felt good, right? Or you find out some really bad news and where do you feel it? Ah, it's like I was kicked in the gut, right? See? It's the center of our feelings. And, and Paul says their God is their stomach. They live their lives feeling satisfying lives. That they make choices on the basis of what will feel good. Let me ask you a question. Why would anybody, given what we know, the consequences and the destruction of relationships and families and all that goes with it, why would anybody choose to start down the road of an affair? Well, it's because somewhere along the way there's that promise of this sure seems like it would feel good to do this, right? And so we make a choice based not upon what we know of the, of the collateral damage that's going to come, but on the basis of our feelings. Or why, you know, many of you could stand up and talk about this, knowing what we know about substance and addiction and all of that stuff. Why would anybody choose to start down the path of an addiction to a substance? Given, you know, again, many of you could stand up here and you could talk about the, the, the damage it's done in your life and the regret that you live with every day based upon choices you make. Why would anybody do that? It's because it has the promise. It tells you this lie of this sure will feel good, right? See? We live feelings-oriented lives. So here's the question for us. When it comes to the decisions that you make on a daily basis, I'm not talking about the big, hairy decisions. I'm just talking about the everyday decisions you make on your life. What's the determining factor on what you do and don't do? You know what it is for most people in our culture? It's what is it that I think will feel the best to do. See, Paul says characteristic number two, their God is their stomach. They live feeling satisfying lives. Characteristic number three, he says, is their glory is in their shame. What is it that they revel in, that they glory in? It's in their shame. Listen to so much of the music of our youth culture today, and what message do you get? I mean, when you look at the actions of celebrities like you know, again, Miley Cyrus or Justin Bieber or, or um, Katy Perry or a lot of the rap artists or, or um, Lady Gaga. What, what's the message that you hear entwined in so many of their songs? Isn't it this, this flaunting of this attitude of no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I choose to do and God or nobody else is going to tell me any different. I can ma- I'm the God of me, see? And that's how I'm going to do things. Don't fence me in. Don't tell me. You're not my boss. I'm in charge of me and no one else is going to be, right? Psalm 14. The psalmist writes this. This is a familiar psalm. You've probably heard it before. It says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. And they are corrupt, and their deeds are vile, And there is no one who does good. That verse is not so much a verse about atheism, although it certainly applies there. 
But as, as much as it is a verse about this attitude, this attitude that says, I'm the God of me. I don't answer to anyone but myself. I know, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to fence me in. See, that, that's the attitude of the enemy of the God. Contrast that with the attitude that the Scriptures teach of humbling ourselves under the full and complete authority of God. See the difference? And then finally, characteristic number four, Paul says, their mind is set on earthly things. That this world is really all that matters. That what happens to me and mine right here and now, that's all that's to be considered. Again, contrast that with what the Bible teaches, that those of us who know and love Jesus were to be about God and His kingdom, both now and forever. And so Paul gives this picture. Does it sound like anybody you know? Does it sound too much like you, maybe? Paul gives this characteristics in verse 19 of those who are in this group, enemies of the cross. And then in verse 20 and 21, he describes those who are in this group, blood-bought, genuine believers of Jesus. He says this, verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You see, in contrast with enemies of the cross, Paul says, but we who know and love Jesus, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And, and, and he's painting this aspect that, that my identity, that who I am, that that, that, that what I'm about, that how I see myself, all of that is shaped by my being a citizen of God's kingdom. Maybe just to put it another way, you, you could look at it like this. A Christian defines himself or herself through their understanding of who God is. God looms large, and I understand myself on the basis of understanding who he is. Whereas an enemy of the cross defines God through their understanding of who I am. See, I loom large. Don't you hear people sometimes they say, well, I don't think God's like this, or God shouldn't be this. And I think, who gets to define who in this equation, right? But our citizenship here has this, identi this, this idea of identity. That's who we are. It so shapes us that we are citizens of God's kingdom. You know, most of us in this room, not all of us probably, but probably the vast majority of us are Americans. And I realize, you know, even without realizing it, so much of who we are is shaped by that fact. I mean, how we see things, how we behave, our values, just... just without even realizing it. And, and I tell you how you can tell it, you, you just go to other parts of the world. In fact, you go to the other parts of the world and you see Americans in a different culture and they stand out. They're, they're just, how they look at things, I mean, just, you just see that kind of aspect. Um, a lot of places, you know, Americans are considered rude. And the reason why, uh, and sometimes they just are rude, but, but, but sometimes it's just that as Americans, we just have just so much this sense of personal 
uh, independence that it so shapes us how we look at things that we stand out in that culture and we come across as rude. I, I, I tell you how you really see it. Just, just here, this is very earthy, but you can take it. Um, it just, just go into the bathroom in other cultures, right? I mean, you know, as Americans, we go in and we think, really? This is, this is the accommodations right here, you know? See, it's just so much how we understand and see, you know. In Sochi, they made a big deal about because, you know, they had those stalls with two toilets in them, you know. As Americans, we look at that and think, I ain't going in there, you know. I mean, I'm two weeks. I'm just, not, I'm just holding it the whole time. I mean, you know. Whereas in a different culture, see, that's just the, you see, you see, without even realizing how much our identity and our understanding and how we see things is shaped by who we are. That, that's the concept that Paul's going here. And so, let me ask you, when you stand back and look at yourself, when you stand back and look at your life, your actions, does your life resemble more those in this group who are genuine blood-bought citizens of God's kingdom? Or does it fit more the description that Paul gives of those who are enemies of the cross? And listen, talk is cheap. It's, what does your behavior say? Because you behave what you really believe. And maybe some of us need a mind shift to really believe differently about who we are and what we, what we hold to. Well, let me just, as I'm wrapping up here, let me just kind of cherry pick a couple thoughts out of these couple of verses here, verse 20 and 21. If you've got your notes there, circle with me a few words. Would you circle there in verse 20 the word Savior? And then in verse 21, the word power. And there in that last line, the word transform. Let me just take a few quick parting shots here at a few things. I think it's interesting here that Paul talks about the fact that we eagerly await a Savior. He doesn't say we eagerly await a rescuer, or we eagerly await a conqueror. He says we eagerly await a Savior. Because you see, friends, our salvation will finally be complete at the final return of Jesus. And here's what that means. It means that our salvation is this process, isn't it? not this one-time transaction. It begins at the moment in time. We're linear people. There is a moment in time when we bow our knee to Jesus, but it's this process that won't be complete until that final return of Jesus. We eagerly await a Savior. And then it also says about power here. It says Jesus has the power, and one day he's going to bring that power into be, and he's going to put everything under his control. One day he's going to do that. But it's important we understand where we are in time and understanding that. Because you see, so much of what troubles us now is because we live in this broken, fallen world that is not yet completely under his control. You see, we suffer the consequences of sin every day, don't we? But one day, that's going to be different. At Jesus' final return, then and there, he's going to change things and fully put everything under his control. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 25, Paul says this, For he, talking about Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. If you're wrestling with somebody and you stand up and you put your foot on their neck, you've pretty well won that one, haven't you? See? That one day, Jesus will put everything under his control, put everything under his feet. But he hasn't yet done that. It's not a question of power. Jesus has the power now, doesn't he? But he has not yet put everything under his feet. People say, you've heard them, people say, maybe you've said this yourself, well, how could a good God let this happen? How, where, how could God allow this to go on? I'll tell you the answer to that. It's because... God continues to let us live out the consequences of living in a fallen, broken world in order to give us time to still make the choice to choose Him. But one day, that day will end, and He will fully put everything under His feet. He will put everything under His control. One day. We look forward to that. And He will... As it says, he will transform us fully, completely. But here's some good news for you. We don't have to wait till then for the transformation to start, do we? God wants us working, letting him making that transformation right now. Let him, let him start now. God wants to do a work in you from the inside out. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? And so, Paul wraps up this kind of thought here. In chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, based upon all of this, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul says, stand firm in whatever it is that you're facing. I think that's the same message for you and for me today, too. Stand firm in whatever it is. What's that difficulty that you're facing that you say, oh, this is so hard right now? Paul would say, stand firm against it. What's that temptation that you're dealing with that you think, oh, it's so hard to keep my eyes on Jesus? Paul would say, stand firm against that. What are those feelings that keep grabbing at you that says, no, live according to me. Don't live according to Jesus. Live according to what would feel good. Paul would say, stand firm against that what is the hardship that's right in front of you right now that say oh it's so difficult paul would say stand firm in the midst of that what's the pain in your life that you think i it's hard for me to see daylight because the darkness of the pain is so great paul would say stand firm against that pain what's the misunderstanding that you're dealing with right now that's so painful in your life paul would say stand firm against that misunderstanding what mistreatment are you enduring at the hands of others paul would say stand firm against that mistreatment what is it that for you right now that paul's message that god's message for you right now this morning is this stand firm against that well, we're going to continue to worship here in just a minute. And as we do, as our custom is, there's going to be prayer partners up here. You know what? These men and women would love nothing more 
than to have while we're worshiping together, while we're, while we're singing our adoration, our praises to God, for you to just slip up to one of them and say, hey, would you pray? This is what I'm going against. This is my battle right now. This is what, what I'm dealing with. They're, they're not going to give you advice. They're going to help you come to Jesus and just bring that to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me stand firm against that. Take advantage of this time while we're worshiping together. Maybe you're here today and you think, you know, I'm not really sure that I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I'm not really sure when you look at those two groups that I really am in this group. Man, there is nothing that one of these prayer partners would enjoy doing more than helping you know that you know that you know for sure that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know, you have been so taught to see salvation as this one-time transaction that it's, present, it's preventing you from truly embracing the good news of the gospel. Man, come and say, hey, would you pray with me that these blinders that keep me focused and missing what it's all about, would you help me pray to God that he would just remove these blinders so that I could see and know and love him more? Let's take advantage of that, would you? But let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words from Paul for all of us. Thank you for the work that you're doing in us, shifting our thinking so that we think more like Jesus. Lord, help us evaluate honestly and, and respond fully, Lord, because we want to live out our true identity as blood-bought sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, help us in the midst. Lord, meet us for each of us. Give us the, the wisdom to see right where we are, the struggles where we find ourselves, Lord, and help us take the steps to lean on you and to lean on other brothers and sisters to be able to stand firm against what it is that we're dealing with, God. Lord, you desire to change us from the inside out so that we live each day for you and your glory and not our own, God. And so work in us and receive our worship. These, these words that we speak and sing back to you now, receive these as our prayer and our commitments to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Let's worship.